0: Hello and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Hello, everyone. I'm James Day, and today, volunteering, a noble pursuit to give your time and experience for a passion or cause that one believes in. We will be chatting with Dr. James Delaval. He graduated from Drexel University School of Medicine, board-certified in emergency and family medicine, with a focus on rural areas and underserved populations. Dr. Delaval served as medical advisor and member of the Board of Trustees of Hands Together, an NGO working with the poorest of the poor in Haiti for 15 years. He's also been awarded a fellowship by the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture and the American College of Emergency Physicians. He has been certified by the ARDMS in abdominal, cardiac, and vascular ultrasound. He's been involved in undergraduate and graduate medical education and is an associate professor of emergency medicine at the Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. Dr. DeLaval is chair of the APCA POCUS Certification Assessment Committee. Dr. DeLaval, James, how are you today?
1: Uh, I'm very well today. Thank you, James. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, I, I, I appreciate your kind words. So, I know that what we're talking about today is something that is near and dear to my heart, which is volunteering. And so I can just uh, uh, begin by something that I was taught when I was in school a long time ago. And what we were told was that we should do a certain percentage of our uh, professional time in a volunteer setting. So whether it was providing free care to people who came to us, or whether it was volunteering in some other uh, place or in some other fashion, that we should do that because we should not only uh, receive something for the services we provide, but we should also give back to the communities and to the people uh, that we served and also in a broader sense to the the greater family of humans and other creatures on this earth. So I've always believed in that advice, and so volunteering has always been uh, important to me.
0: You know, uh, I wanted to ask you just off the top, um, so what's going on now with you currently? You're involved in a lot of things, but what are your current contributions to society or your latest passions that you're involved with?
1: Well, right now, the uh, point-of-care ultrasound is my passion. And uh, the reason it is my passion is because that I think it is something that we should uh, be employing in all patient care settings as a way of assisting at making a more accurate diagnosis and thereby providing safer care for the people who present to us. And that is uh, regardless of the circumstances or the location. So whether it's in northeastern Pennsylvania, whether it's in New York, or whether it's in City, Soleil in Haiti, that being able to provide this imaging in addition to the other things that we're able to do at the bedside provides really valuable information that helps us to make decisions that are important in patient care and so that's that currently is my passion yesterday I, I gave a talk and so I gave a talk it was three hours long and it was a talk to the paramedic class at the the uh, SUNY State University of New York, uh, uh, Broome County Community College. And there were 15 or so paramedic students who were in there. Most of them were under 25 years of age. Couple mm-hmm. were older. And so the last hour and a half of the talk was focused on the future. And, you know, we have been teaching our students and our doctors who have completed medical school and training and nurses and paramedics and others, we're teaching them how to use 19th century techniques. And as I have said before, uh, you know, I, I would work for a hobby. i like to make furniture. I can do really good things with hand tools. I can make beautiful furniture with hand tools. I can also make beautiful furniture with power tools. Uh, so if I am able to do that, you know, which one do I use? Well, it seems to be the one that I get the best results with. So the 19th century tools. It's not that they're obsolete. It's just that nobody's around anymore to teach people. It would be like me going to a hardware store to buy a miter box, uh, <laughs> you know, something to help me to guide the direction of my saw. Sure. People look at me and say, like, "Are you crazy?" I went to was cutting stairs for a building that I built, and I asked for the little things that attach to a uh, a. a carpenter square that helps to make keep the angles right for making steps. They looked at me like I had two heads, and the guy that talked to me first, he actually knew what I was talking about. He said, oh, I haven't sold those in years. And so what, what's happening is that the old techniques work. They work well, and we've built beautiful things with the old techniques. Unfortunately, very few people are around today who know what to do with them. People like technology and the fact that now technology is compact, we can take it to the bedside. And it's also very uh, lo- relatively inexpensive. So I have to say that the, it is that is my passion right now, and I spent that time yesterday not only talking to the paramedics about ultrasound, but showing them some cardiac ultrasounds and also uh, doing a demonstration in the classroom and hopefully setting up a laboratory session for the future To get them to understand the value of this technique and then to teach me, hopefully, other ways of using this that I haven't thought about, just like so many people have contributed to this. So that is my my current passion. Mm -hmm. And I'll be teaching a course starting next week to uh, residents in family medicine at a hospital called Lord's Hospital in Binghamton, New York, and there's 30 of them in the program and they really, really would like to learn how to do point-of-care ultrasound. And so we've set up a 10-month course that we'll be doing uh, and also involving ultrasonographers. in the course will be working with me to help the students to solidify their information. So that's currently
0: my passion. That sounds fantastic. And I get your point about the trades regarding building construction. I lived in a Victorian and There's nobody that does good plaster and lath work anymore uh, with the hawk and the whole thing. I had to actually learn an old trade to fix an old house. So your point's well taken about staying current Uh in technology. So in regards to point of care, uh, when did you first come upon point of care ultrasound in your work? Uh, Was it uh, scholastically or in the ER or?
1: My christening took place as an ER doctor at the uh, rural hospital in which I worked. And uh, I can remember the day. It was a gentleman who is probably close to what my age is right now. So it was a while ago. And he came in with uh, abdominal pain. And when I examined his abdomen, I noticed a pulsating mass in his abdomen. And I thought, oh, this man... Maybe he's got an aortic aneurysm. We didn't have a CAT scanner at that time. Mm-hmm. It was too expensive, but we did have an ultrasound machine. And so I called and I found out that the ultrasonographer, we had all of one ultrasound person for everything. That he, that was his day off. <laughs> but then I called and found out that the radiologist was on call that day, or was available. And I thought, yeah, I, this is going we can do this. So I went up and talked with him, and he said, Jim, he said, I don't even know how to turn the machine on. And he said, I don't know how to turn the machine on. He said, I know how to look at the images, and I know how to respond to the images. He was giving me an honest answer. I appreciated it, but that was the moment that I got hooked. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I've got to learn about this. So when Mike came back, I said, Mike, do you have any books on ultrasound? He had attended a course in Johns Hopkins, at Johns Hopkins, and in that Johns Hopkins course, there was a book uh, that he received. It was a paper-bound book, and that was his book. No glossies, no nothings. Mm-hmm. And so I read the book, and then I read another book, <clears throat> and then I took a course, and, and then I was here today, so... That's how I got involved in, in doing this. And the more that I get involved, the more that I understand what uh, the possibilities are. That's why I think that a point-of-care ultrasound in many ways can't be defined. And we shouldn't define it. And the reason why is when you define something, it's like putting a fence up on your property and saying, this is my property. Well, you know, there could be more property that you had, but you arbitrarily put up the fence. Let's uh, let's find out where this uh, line really goes. Let's find out. Maybe it doesn't really have a line. Maybe it shouldn't have a line. And uh, let's learn. Remember when we were all told that you couldn't ultrasound the lung? Uh, You can't ultrasound the lung because you won't see it. What do we do? Uh, Point of care ultrasound with the lung is now the hot topic because of COVID. But, you know, 10 years ago, it was like, you can't do that.
0: Oh, yeah. It was artifact. And
1: they said the same thing to Columbus and probably Leif Erikson and... The people in Polynesia when they decided to sail uh, wherever they went and ended up in South America.
0: So don't get boxed in and, and uh, keep the question open. Yeah. So once once somebody learns and, and begins that. So uh, I know you and I uh, some time ago you submitted uh, you were volunteering and you did some uh, cardiac cases which came from right out right out of the your experience in the ER. So when did you first learn about uh Pocus Certification Academy?
1: Well, James, actually you were my godfather.
0: No. Don't don't lay that on me. You don't remember. <laughs> oh my god. I do remember. I thought we went to dinner. Uh we know we went to lunch in Philadelphia. You came down from uh
1: went to a Brazilian steakhouse in Philadelphia, Liz and you and me. That's right. And I was there with you because I responded to an ad that I saw looking for volunteers mm-hmm. to sit down and discuss POCUS. And I thought, that's a cool thing. I really think that that's the future. I want to be involved in this. And I think you got my thing. And you said, like, who the heck is this Delaval from northeastern Pennsylvania? <laughs> like, where the heck is he from? Where is that? You see that little dot the only way you can be a dot on the map is to have a post office, so, you know, so that's why it looks like northeastern Pennsylvania, like there's nothing, because they don't have a lot of post offices. There are very few dots on the map.
0: <laughs> I saw your farm from Elk Mountain when we were up there snowboarding.
1: Yeah, well, you probably could if you had the right kind of visual thing, but uh, that's how I got involved, and then through Liz and through uh, yourself, I got more involved, and that's how it all happened, so... Like I said, I owe a lot to you and to Liz because you helped me to merge from uh, the uh, uh, from being out in the middle of what appears to be nowhere, which really there's no such thing as nowhere, uh, mm. and and so and then you assisted me in becoming part of a system, and that to me is another strong portion of volunteering is the fact that you meet get to meet a lot of really really nice people and a lot of really cool people who stimulate you and who ask you interesting questions and make you think uh, i mean to me life is all about growing and developing and yeah. uh, you know and i i think that you know t- till my last breath i will still believe that and probably believe that even after my last breath that they're still growing and developing that goes on, it just seems like it stops. It doesn't stop. And so I get to meet some really, really cool people and occasionally I get taken to some nice restaurants. So, so that's also <laughs> a good thing. That Brazilian place she took me to was really
0: nice. Yes. And listen, don't go anywhere. We don't want you to put on your last clean shirt. You know, you do some awesome volunteering. In fact, now look at look where it's evolved to. You're now, uh, you know, the chair of the POCUS uh, Certification Academy. Um, so I want to talk about uh, the cer the, the ways you chose to volunteer. Uh, was there something about the opportunities you pursued that stood out to you or uh, and also, let's address the time commitment. A lot of a lot of physicians are very busy, and it's hard to carve out that time to volunteer for case writing, cases, or, or whatever you wish to volunteer for.
1: So, what I can tell you is that uh, first of all, uh, there is a time commitment, and uh, however the time commitment, we're not talking about. Uh, weeks at a time we're talking about an hour here and an hour there and as i alluded to before and if i didn't say it specifically that you get received much more <clears throat> than you actually give and and so whether it's in haiti where you know the the thing that struck me and you asked an original question was i'm going to backtrack for a moment and you said like what makes you decide to do this what makes you decide to volunteer and for me the I, so it boils down to a a personal belief a personal belief that something is value has value or is good and it's a proper way uh, to use my time so if you ask me you know to go ahead and and go to an expensive building and and add to the gilding in the expensive building, I probably wouldn't do that because I didn't, wouldn't see that as a good use of my personal time. Other people might see that as value, but that wouldn't be value to me. The value in going to Haiti is to meet the Haitian people and get to know them and to learn from them and to do what I can to help them and to help them to realize that what they already know, but hopefully I can reinforce, is just how important and valuable each and every one of them are. And so and the, with respect to point-of-care ultrasound, that was pretty simple. I had a belief that there was something that could be done that would help me to become better at my job. I always wanted to be an excellent clinician. I always wanted to be the best doctor I could possibly be for those people who uh, sought my assistance. And so whatever I could do that would be cost-effective, that would be able to help me to provide answers for those people who presented to me, that's what I would do. And so for me, point-of-care ultrasound was a perfect fit because it assisted me at answering questions involved in patient care that I couldn't answer with the 19th century techniques that were available to me. And so that's why I did it, and that's why I do it, and that's why I can very easily talk like I did yesterday for hours about it just because of the fact that I I can't imagine not doing it. (laughs) I can't imagine (laughs) not sharing the information, not because I have stock in the company or I have an interest in anything besides the fact that we can do better. You know, we can do better for the people who are there, and we can do better ourselves and not to mention the fact of the stimulation that it gives you when you begin to look at people with ultrasound and you see the anatomy and you realize that it's alive. It's not something that's been embalmed. It's alive. It moves. Mm -hmm. It has, and it's not lined up the way it is in the textbook. It's at angles and turned and twisted and, and it's beautiful. And that's what biology is all about. It's about beauty and variation and, growth and development.
0: So I'm guessing with all that, with that very inspiring soliloquy there, uh, you'd recommend uh, healthcare professionals volunteering with POCUS Certification Academy, whether it's cases or images for, I guess, the camaraderie, uh, the professional fulfillment, the overall raising of standards for patient safety.
1: I mean I would say to anybody who's out there who's interested in volunteering, I would say we need you. We need you. We have been looking for you. We we will embrace you as a as a long lost or maybe not long lost brother and sister in this because we need your enthusiasm, we need you to work with all of us to do a better job to make things safer and we need you. There isn't anything else that I could add to that. We need you and if you think that you're giving away too much you always get back more than you give. I can tell you that and you know I can tell you that. Uh, Someone told me years ago as a doctor that don't worry about uh, since money seems to be a big issue for people. Don't worry about the money. Just focus on doing what's right. Focus on doing a good job. And you know Mm -hmm. what? The monetary rewards will come. And I have to say, maybe it's just because I believed it. But, uh, you know, I don't want for anything. I don't think of myself as an extremely wealthy person, not a poor person. Uh, I can't say it better. I'm happy. Uh, You know, those choices have brought something that money can't buy, which is... Happiness, but I want for nothing. My my wife wants for nothing. Maybe another husband, perhaps, but she wants for <laughs> nothing. She just walked in the room, <laughs> so I
0: had to say that. So wow, I don't know. You you really you really brought us up on high with that. And I was I was actually my I was going to ask you that: Is there any other thing that you'd like to touch on uh, that would be relevant to this interview that you didn't touch on uh, regarding your volunteer experience, but I think you nailed it. Uh, It's a higher road in life. You meet people. uh, You feel like you're given to the greater good.
1: I just would ask, you know, add one more thing, James, and this is, I think it's important, is that those of us who maybe have had some experience, perhaps, or have uh, been gifted with uh, the ability to learn certain things, Mm -hmm. We shouldn't put that under a basket or put it in the basement or lock it in a closet or uh, only bring it out when somebody has the ability to pay for it. Because if you think about everything that you know and Dave, everything that you know, it's there uh, because somebody shared their information with you, whether it was said, buy this book, they gave a talk, they uh, showed interest. Uh, There was just a Mm -hmm. number of different ways of imparting that information. But if all of us decided right now, <clears throat> right now, to stop that, I'm not going to do it because I don't get paid enough. I'm not going to do it because I don't have time to do it. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Society literally goes into the dark ages at the when your time and my time is gone, is up. That's a really, really scary prospect when you think about it, that because of the fact that you chose not to share what you have, <laughs> that what happens is it all falls apart. And it can literally do that. It literally can do that in less than a generation. You know, there was a uh, uh, an old thing, you know, uh, a, this isn't a corny joke, but it's a, it's a great story. It's a business story. And the story is uh, that there was a a place at another time uh, where every day, every year, they had a festival. And the festival involved wine and food and everything. And the way that the wine was provided was by the people who lived in that area or jurisdiction. People were supposed to come and pour their wine into a common vet. And then uh, the night of the festival, the leader of the community would come and say some words and open the vet, and everybody would experience the happiness and mirth that comes from getting pleasantly high on alcohol. So uh, the night of the festival comes, and the king goes, and the leader goes to open the vet. Nothing comes out. And he said, what happened? And then people started to say, well, I always give stuff to this thing. And so this year I thought I wasn't going to do it. And then somebody else said, well, I had to take care of uh, this thing that was happening in my life. And I didn't have time to bring the wine. And, you know, I'm a little short on cash this year. And so what I'm going to do is I decided to sell the wine I was going to give to you. And as a result of that, I didn't put anything in, and the stories became, of course, very individual. The fact of the matter is, though, that the the party, the thing, the community, the celebration that was going to happen, didn't occur because the fact that everybody had their own personal interests that they put first before the interests of the greater community. We can't do that. I mean, some places we actually see that uh, that happening now, and. We can't do that. And so in order you know, if so if we all decide not to give, what is our ability to give? And it all it's up to an individual. You know, there are some good reasons. But everybody can give something. And if you can't, if you choose not to do it, then this thing that we call education, learning, growth, improvement that mm-hmm. just went. And then when it started when it goes, then frequently the trajectory is that it doesn't come back and that things just get progressively worse. And then finally, the the Dark Ages have occurred. I don't think the Dark Ages occurred because the Vandals or the Visigoths came into town and just had no appreciation for culture. I think what happened is the people kind of gave up on themselves. And then the enemy, of course, could come in because they were sick and they were not vibrant. So... Enough for my sermon. But at the same time, uh, I I really do, you know, I do believe what I just said. And so I can't say it better than I did.
0: Well, Dr. DeLaval, listen, it was great having you today on today's podcast. It's an honor, and we thank you for all you do to increase patient safety. And don't forget, for more POCUS-style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Thank you so much, James. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at POCUSWorld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point-of-care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.